Almighty God, we know that you have spoken and that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So Lord, we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to understand the word that you are giving us, that we may hear and be changed. In Christ's name, amen. May be seated. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel a little exhausted. For the past several months, I have spent more time reading and thinking and talking about politics than I can calculate. I have read articles, I've watched debates, I've joined in the conversations on family text change, I have argued, I've complained, and yes, I've prayed repeatedly and earnestly over this election. I know what you're thinking right now. Thinking, oh boy, here he goes. He's about to get political in the pulpit. And just because I mentioned the election, some of you are going to spend the rest of this sermon, regardless of what I say, you're going to spend the rest of the sermon analyzing every word I say to try to figure out my political position. But I'm not here to talk about my political opinions. I'm here to talk about why it is that we care about this so much. Why does it consume our lives and our conversations in the way that it does? And the fact that you are feeling distracted and now you're just paying attention to try to figure out what my political position is just goes to show how much you care about politics too. And why not, after all? Why shouldn't we feel passionate about those whom we elect to lead? The truth is that whether or not the emotional frenzy that we tend to get ourselves in every four years, whether or not that emotional frenzy is really proportional to what's at stake, the truth is that we have every reason to care strongly about those whom we elect to lead. Not only because we know how beneficial it is to have wise and just and brave leaders, but also because we know by experience just how much damage can be done when we have bad and incompetent leaders. It's not just in politics. Politicians kind of make for an easy target. But we all know also, and we've seen, what happens when bad leaders are in business and finance, when you have leaders who prioritize their own personal enrichment at the cost of the good of their employees or investors. And it's even in the church. I say this with sadness, but yes, even in the church, we are not immune to the immense harm that is done when bad and abusive leaders, pastors and priests, take advantage of the trust and authority that's given to them to prey on those under their care. I don't have to give you any examples. I'm sure you can think of your own. And it's easy, it's easy to start to feel disillusion when you look around and you see just how common bad and corrupt and abusive leadership really is. It's easy to start to think that those who expect leaders to do what is right are just being naive and delusional. And that really, there are no perfect leaders. That all you can really expect is the lesser evil. It's easy to give in to despair. 
But as Christians, this cannot be our response. We are a people of hope. We are a people who other people are supposed to be able to look at, to look at our actions and our attitudes, that it's supposed to prompt the people around us to ask us for a reason for the hope that is in us. And when they ask us, we're supposed to have something to say. So that's the theme of my sermon this morning. That's the question I would like to answer. What, does the, what hope does the church have to offer to a world that has grown weary of bad leadership and has become increasingly cynical of the idea that things could ever be any different? And to answer that question, I would like to turn your attention to the Old Testament reading from this morning, Ezekiel chapter 34. If you have a Bible, I'm going to reference several parts of it so you can turn to that chapter, Ezekiel 34. Now, the book of Ezekiel is a good book to read during times of social and political crisis because that's exactly the situation in which it was written. You see, Ezekiel was this priest who lived among a bunch of Jews who had been exiled from their homes into a foreign land. And this crisis, this exile, had occurred in no small part thanks to a series of really truly terrible kings and terrible leadership decisions. It was in the fifth year of their exile, Ezekiel tells us, that he first received his prophetic call. And for the next 20 or so years of his life, he kept receiving messages, kept hearing from God, kept seeing visions, kept being given messages to pass on to the people. And most of the time, people didn't really listen to him. Now, they thought he was entertaining. At one point, we're told that people tended to talk about Ezekiel like he was, a, he was a singer with a beautiful voice. You know, people like to go out and watch the show. They like to listen to him, but they didn't really pay attention to what he was saying. And for five years, Ezekiel had been saying that Jerusalem, the city of David, was going to be destroyed. And no one really paid him any heed. But then, lo and behold, it happened just like he said it would. The Babylonians besieged Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Mount Zion, the great city of the king, had come to an end. And that's the context of Ezekiel chapter 34. In fact, it's just in the previous chapter, in chapter 33, that we hear the news of the destruction of Jerusalem. But now, in chapter 34, another message comes. In verse 1, we read, The word of the Lord came to me. I want to pause there for just a moment. Notice the wording of that phrase, The word of the Lord came to me. It, it's a phrase that occurs all throughout the book of Ezekiel. Every time a new message is being given, we read this phrase. And it's the kind of thing, if you read the Bible much, you just tend to skim right over. But it's really worth reflecting on. All throughout the Bible, the word of God comes to people. The word of God comes in Genesis chapter 12 to a man named Abram and tells him to go to an unknown land. In Exodus chapter 3, the word of the Lord comes to this unsuspecting shepherd named Moses and shows up in the form of a burning bush. A little bit later, the word of the Lord comes to a young man named Samuel and calls him by name in the middle of the night. And then there's all those prophets to whom the word of the Lord so often comes with a message for them to pass on, whether they really want to or not. And in, in all of these instances, what's really important to know 
is that God is the one who takes the initiative to act. Abram did not go looking for a word from the Lord. Moses did not go looking for God, nor did Samuel, nor did any of the prophets. And in all of these instances, the way that God acts is by using his word. He speaks. It is by speaking that God creates and judges and redeems and sanctifies a people for himself. And that's one of the reasons why every week when we gather together for worship, we listen to scripture read and proclaimed. It's not just because we think the Bible is some wonderful, important, sacred text with a lot of wisdom for us. It's because we know that it is the voice of the living God. It is the voice that we desperately need to hear because we know that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And now once again in Ezekiel chapter 34, the word of the Lord comes and it's a word of judgment against the shepherds of Israel. Now who are these shepherds of Israel that's being discussed here? Well, shepherd is a, it's a pretty common metaphor in the ancient Near East for a king which makes a lot of sense because, you know, like shepherds, kings are supposed to provide for and protect their people. But according to the word that comes to Ezekiel, that is exactly what Israel's kings have failed to do. Instead of feeding and sheltering their sheep, they have abused and eaten them. Instead of protecting those who were weak, caring for those who were sick, seeking out those who were lost, they have neglected their sheep and they have ruled them with ruthless force. Ezekiel doesn't explain precisely what the misdeeds of these shepherds are, but it isn't hard to imagine. As I said, we've all had our own experiences of bad and corrupt and abusive leadership. But just because corrupt and unjust behavior is common among those in power, and just because it was common among Israel's kings, does not mean that God overlooks it. God minces no words in his response to these shepherds. Behold, he says in verse 10, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. In and of itself, this word of judgment is a cause for hope. As Christians, we need not despair in the face of immoral or unjust or corrupt leadership because we serve a God who is promised to hold those in power to account and put a stop to their abuse. Make no mistake, God is not mocked. There will be a day of reckoning for lying and greedy and abusive leaders. But this is not the only reason for our hope. In verse 11, Ezekiel continues delivering his message. And what he says next, this is the reason for a greater hope. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep, so will I seek out my sheep. This is good news. Better even than the news that God will hold those shepherds to account and will put an end to their injustice. In fact, it would not be going too far to say that this is Ezekiel's announcement of the gospel. That God himself will become his people's shepherd. 
that he will be their king. For what Ezekiel is announcing is not just that God will bring an end to injustice, nor that he will hold those in power to account. The news that Ezekiel brings to Israel is a much greater promise than mere political reform. It's the news of a regime change. It's the news that a new king is coming, that God himself is going to take the throne. And with God as king, Israel will finally know what it is like to have a good shepherd. If somebody asks you, what is the gospel? You can't find a much better summary of it than this in Ezekiel 34, 15, and 16. Here's the gospel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. You know, as Christians, we spend a lot of time talking about how we should live on the basis of our faith, which is very important. Strictly speaking, though, that is not the gospel. When the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, it did not come to bring mere advice. It came to bring a promise. The word of the Lord did not come to tell Israel, look, you've had a really terrible series of kings, and that's part of the reason that you're in this mess that you're in right now. And so if you, wanna, if you want things to get better, if you want to prosper again, then you just need to find yourself some better kings. You know, or maybe just scrap this monarchy thing altogether. Now, don't get me wrong, the book of Ezekiel does contain a lot of admonitions about what Israel should repent from and what they should do. But that is not the word that Ezekiel bears now. Here, the word of the Lord that comes to Ezekiel is not advice. It isn't God telling Israel how to fix things or how to shape up. It's God telling them that he is now going to step in and fix things himself. You know, it's interesting. If you keep this passage in mind, then what Jesus says in the New Testament starts to make a lot more sense. Because what was it, after all, that Jesus was going around the regions of Galilee preaching and teaching and telling people? Well, the gospel of Mark, which is probably the earliest of our gospels, the gospel of Mark tells us right in the beginning what it was that Jesus was going around saying, what he was proclaiming. His message was this, the kingdom of God has come near. God is becoming king. In fact, as the Anglican bishop N.T. Wright has said, this is the central message of all four of our gospels in the New Testament. The good news that they communicate is that God is fulfilling his promise to Ezekiel, that he is becoming king. The surprising twist that they add is just how this is happening. How is God becoming king? How is he stepping in and taking charge and putting things back together? That he's doing it through the life and death and resurrection of this man, Jesus. That is how God becomes king. And that is also exactly what early Christians went around telling people when they were sharing the gospel in all these little hamlets and towns and cities in ancient Rome. What is it? What what were they saying? Well, basically, they were saying God has become king. Or as they put it, Jesus is Lord. That was their message. And now I know what you might be thinking. Okay, well, that sounds really good and all. But what does that have to do with us right now? 
how is that good news for us? Those of us who are continuing to suffer the consequences of bad and corrupt leadership. Well, there's a lot that could be said in response to that question. But I just want to point out three immediate points of application from this message from Ezekiel 34 for us today. The first has to do with the matter of allegiance. You see, when those early Christians made the confession, Jesus is Lord, Kyrios Jesus, they were making a statement about where their loyalty and allegiance lay. And Roman authorities, they understood this. They weren't deceived. They knew that when a Christian went around saying Jesus is Lord, that that Christian was also implying Caesar is not. And that is actually why Roman authorities continue to harass and persecute Christians because they would not bend the knee, because they would not recognize the supreme authority of the Roman emperor. Now today we find ourselves in a situation not entirely unlike that of those early Christians, where we have a variety of various leaders who are calling us to give them our unwavering and full support. And we would be wise to remember the example of those early Christians. We should pray for our leaders as we do every Sunday. And we should lend them our approval and support when they do what is right. But we must also hold them to account. For there is only one king whom we serve. And he is the only one who deserves our full allegiance. So that's the first point of application. The second has to do with how we respond to the danger and the threat that is posed to us by bad and corrupt leadership. There is a great amount of fear in the hearts of our neighbors today, and probably in a lot of our own hearts as well. Many people right now feel very worried and afraid about what are gonna be the results or the consequences of this recent political election or future elections. Some people are very worried about the consequences that will come to them of the decisions that their supervisors and employers are making. And I've talked to quite a number of Christians in the last month or two who are deeply afraid for the future of the church. What is this pandemic going to do to our churches? What will be the result of the decisions that church leaders are making as they adjust right now? And these concerns, they're all understandable because as I've said before, we've all seen what happens when leadership is bad and corrupt or incompetent. And yet there is a difference between concern and fear. A concern over the consequences of bad decisions, that's that's an important and a necessary part of making wise decisions. Concern helps us to see potential dangers and avoid them as we choose a way forward. But fear, fear is a response to an unknown and threatening future. And the word of the Lord that came to Ezekiel is very clear about our future. God is the one who is king. He oversees our history. And that's why, as Marilyn Robinson likes to say, fear is not a Christian habit of mind. Whatever may come our way, we can be a people of courage and hope. I just remember the words of Psalm 46. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, 
Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. For the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, finally, I want to conclude with a word about news. We spend a lot of time watching the news these days. It seems like our whole country has become addicted to the news. We look at the news every morning on our phone. We listen to it on the way to work. We post it on our social media accounts and we talk about it and we fret over it with our family and friends and coworkers. News, 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 everywhere you turn. And it's easy to criticize that, to just say, you know, everybody needs to stop watching the news all the time. Everybody just needs to chill out a little bit and we'll all do much better. And there's probably some truth to that. But there's also a deeper significance to this addiction we have to the news. There's a reason that so many people tune in so often to listen and to watch and to read the latest report. And it's not just because Washington DC is a source of never ending drama. No, the truth is people are desperate to hear good news. We all know that something, something has gone deeply wrong in society and in ourselves. And we often disagree on what we need to do to fix it, but we know something is wrong. And we don't just want to hear good advice. We don't tune in because we want to hear someone tell us what we ought to do. We tune in because we want to hear that something has happened. We want to hear that something good has happened, that something has happened that's going to put all this mess back together and make everything right. And that's true for everyone. That's just a common human experience. But what's different for us as Christians is that you and I, we have actually know, we have been given, we know the content of the headline that everyone else is waiting to read. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel and it was a word of judgment and of hope. God is bringing judgment against the lying and thieving and power hungry shepherds who have abused his people. And he, he himself is taking their place. And that word, that word that was given to Ezekiel has come true. Jesus is risen. Christ is king. God is making all things new. And whether they know it or not, this is the news that our neighbors and our world is desperate to hear. So let's go out and share it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.